are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. Uh, amend what you said there. Uh, we are we are on air, but we are not all online yet. <laughs> I'm having a problem. Okay, it's oh. loading now. <laughs> I'm having a problem with my laptop. Okay. So. Okay. Well, while you're doing that, I'll go ahead and go through our agenda for tonight uh, before we get started. We're going to first start with some updates from the RK East and the West series, and then we're going to preview the season finale at Kansas for the ARCA Menard series. This is their last race, and uh, they'll be able to crown their champion when this race is over uh, this weekend. At the top of the hour, we'll update the NASCAR Truck Series. They are not racing this weekend, but we will give you the update so that you're ready for next weekend when they will be racing at Martinsville. Then uh, we will preview or review I said review here, but I meant preview, the Xfinity and the Cup Series at Kansas Speedway. And uh, we will uh, definitely give you some ideas of uh, who you might pick for your drivers this weekend for your fantasy group. Okay, and then, of course, 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment. And uh, we will definitely uh, look forward to that. Tonight we are going to have both uh, Jay Huseman and Tommy Kraft will be on board with us at the 10 o'clock hour. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. And, uh, Jay, how are you doing? Are you back online yet? Yeah, the Internet is connected. I'm trying to get the ARCA. I know we're going to start with the ARCA Menard series, so trying to get their homepage uh, pulled up here real quick. Okay. And I think the rest well, of them I, I should be able to get yeah. up as we go. Uh, I can give a couple of updates here. Uh, as far as the Arca right. East, they are done for the season. Uh, their champion is Sammy Smith, and uh, they had their last race uh, already, and, and their champion is already uh, taken care of. Uh, and we congratulate Sammy Smith on his accomplishment. For the Sioux Chief Showdown, it's the same thing. Ty Gibbs already has that one locked in as the champion for the Sioux Chief Showdown this season. And then coming up uh, on November the 6th, it's the same weekend as the championship weekend at Phoenix for the NASCAR Cup Xfinity and Truck Series. Well, the the Arca West Series will also be there. Uh, They'll be racing on November the 6th. At noon Mountain Time, that's 3 p.m. Eastern Time, the Arizona Lottery 100 at Phoenix Raceway. And you will be able to uh, watch that if you are an NBC Gold Track Pass member, or you can listen on the radio at uh, arcaracing.com or uh, go to Race Central there, and they'll give you updates directly from the track as the race progresses. So uh, definitely looking forward to that uh, ARCA West season finale at Kansas. I'm sorry, at Phoenix. Well, and you mentioned it several times there. Ty Gibbs' name already having championships. He is all but crowned 
for the Arkham Menard series as we head into Kansas with the uh, number on the entry list. He does just have to start the race. And actually, I think if uh, picking up the pole is going to be enough points, I think if he picks up the pole, he would uh, secure it that way as well. Uh, so fully yeah, expect, obviously, for him the... to be crowned. Right now, we're just doing the updates for the Arco West, Jay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the Arco West uh, is a series that's going to race on November the 6th. Uh, we're doing the updates there for that. Uh, just to kind of give you an idea, I don't know if you have the uh, uh, standings up or not, uh, Jay, but uh, it's, this one is a really close race. Uh, and one of the most fun ones to watch in the Arkham and Art series of the three series or four series because You've got eight drive. You've got all ten of the top ten drivers that have raced all of the races this season, and in the top five or six, it's very, very close. It most certainly is, and, and some of it we saw. Jesse Love, as your points leader, does have two victories out of the eight races, uh, giving him the top spot. But it is only by one point. Uh, Paul Pedronasili Jr picking up his victory in the last race, moved into second points now, just one point back. And then you got Jake Drew, third in points, three points back, consistency across the board, eight starts, seven of them being top tens. He's had three poles, which means he's running up front. And then fourth and fifth, Joey East with a victory is in a four spot, five points back. And Cole Moore, another one, not a victory, but four top fives and six top tens in those eight starts is only six points back. And that certainly is going to be settled come Phoenix on the track by position. Exactly. So that means that the champ for grabs. Uh, Jesse has a lot of experience at that track, but uh, it's still up for grabs. Uh, Trevor Huddleston's not too far out of the running there either. And you might as well say Todd Souza has a chance there as well. Todd Souza's chance at 26 points back in seventh position, a little further stretch. Trevor Huddleston, and we've seen this before, I believe he picked up two wins there a couple years back in the, in the opening races at Phoenix. Um, Getting that victory certainly would bring him into the mix. Then it would be a matter of where everybody finishes behind him per position. So uh, I do think Trevor Trevor Huddleston certainly could be a big-time player in this as it settles out. Without a doubt. Tatsu's in seventh. He's 26 points back, so you're right. It's a little bit more of a stretch for him. Uh, But actually – uh, any one of these guys from 6th uh, or 7th all the way to 10th place, if they were to come up with a win, it would certainly help them get a better position uh, to close out the season. Yeah, as you go back even there, you mentioned it, uh, Takuma Koga, taking a personal standpoint, you look at his year, having a career year. He's got one top five and four top tens, uh, 51 points back from the lead. But the battle there, Bridget Burgess is 69 points. That's an 18-point difference. Bobby Hillis Jr. then is 77 back, so another eight points back from Bridget Burgess. So even amongst there, like you said, into the final standings and that kind of momentum, too, to end the season and wrap up the year throughout the offseason uh, carries a lot of momentum. 
Exactly right. And and think about what Paul Pedrinselli Jr. did uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, he really pushed himself up in the uh, point standings. So uh, definitely looking forward to that season finale uh, as we head to Phoenix for the championship week, uh, not just for the ARCA West, but also for the uh, trucks and Xfinity and the Cup Series as well. Uh, next up, we will do our preview for the ARCA Menard Series because they are having their, uh, what do you call it, season finale this weekend out of Kansas Speedway with the Xfinity and the Cup Series also racing there as part of their round of eight. So uh, as far as the Arkham Menard Series, uh, the final race of the year is here, and uh, it will be at Kansas this Saturday, October the 23rd, at 6 p.m. Central, that's local time, that's 7 p.m. Eastern, and it will be available on MAV-TV or as on Track Pass if you're an NBC Gold Track Pass member. You can also listen to the radio at arcaracing.com, and again, they've got the Race Central where you can also get updates directly from the track. It is a 1.5-mile paved oval they will be racing 100 laps, and, of course, that will cover a distance of 150 miles. There will be a practice session on Saturday at 11 a.m. local time. Qualifying will take place at 12.45 p.m. local time, and then the race at 6 p.m. Central, but at 7 p.m. Eastern. So uh, definitely looking forward to this one. Uh, the season pretty much wraps up this weekend for the Arkham Menard Series. Well, and it comes nine months after Corey Heim won the opener at Daytona International Speedway. Now the 2021 Arkham Menard Series season reaches its finale come Saturday evening at Kansas Speedway for that Reese's 150. And a champion will be named after the 100-lap race on the 1.5-mile paved oval in Kansas City, Kansas. Or in a more likely scenario, again, he will be named well before the checkered flag. And that would be points leader Ty Gibbs. His championship scenarios uh, depended on the car count, as I mentioned, for Saturday night's race. With 25 cars entered in the Reese's 150, uh, Gibbs, who enters with a third, now a 34-point edge over second place Heim in the standings simply does need to take the green flag to clinch that title. Now his closest rival, Corey Heim, of course, is the defending winner of the Arkham Menard Series fall race at Kansas as he secured his very first series victory last season at Kansas. Even if he can't steal the championship, Heim would have a chance should Gibbs fail to start the race Heim has plenty in front of him Saturday, including the potential for the Bounty Rookie Challenge title. Uh, so, again, this is going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, but you mentioned that Gibbs uh, is pretty much clinched. Yeah, with it, with that, the Arkham Series Series Championship all but clinched entering Saturday night's finale at Kansas. It is fitting, considering he is also has the season-long Valvoline lap leader and locked up with his absurd 1,590 laps led through the 19 races. Now, if you want to look in comparison, when we talk about Heim, he sits in the second in the season-long Valvoline lap leader 
uh, standings as well with 405. That's almost three to one. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, Gibbs also won this year's Sioux Chief Showdown Champion, as I mentioned earlier, but he also won the CGS Imaging Four Crown Overheim by 22 points and by 15 points respectively. At Kansas, Heim can at least take the rookie award from his rival. Yeah, there, Gibbs, Gibbs enters that. Oh, go ahead. That's okay. Gibbs enters the finale with one foot with a one point lead in the Bounty Rookie Challenge for the Rookie of the Year standings over Heim. <clears throat> Excuse me, race points, no bonus points are all that count toward the rookie standings. So that means that Heim needs to finish two or more positions better than Gibbs at Kansas in order to steal that rookie title. Gibbs would hold a tiebreaker by virtue of his 10 victories this season to Heim's six. So Heim is hoping it doesn't tie. He's got to finish those two spots in front of Gibbs in order for him to clinch uh, that rookie of the year's title. Now, regardless, Heim will end an impressive season with something to show for it. He has already clinched the SNS Volvo Laps Completed Award for the year uh, with 2,520 points. Billy Venturini, the owner of Heim's number 20 Venturini Motorsports Toyota, is a comfortable 22 points ahead of his father, Bill, who owns owner of the number 15 Venturini Motorsports Toyota in the General Tire Super Speedway Challenge Point. In the course, Heim could also win at Kansas and end the year on the high note. He finished third when the series visited the track in May, but he won in convincing fashion at Kansas, Sharon mentioned last October, leading 82 of the 100 laps. So still a lot these guys are racing for here in this season finale. Exactly right. Unlike Gibbs in his Joe Gibbs Racing Stable, Heim will also benefit from teammates that will be on the track with him at Kansas. Uh, Drew Dollar will be in the number 15 Sunbelt Rentals Toyota, Parker Chase in the number 25 NX TLVL Marine Toyota, and Tony Breidinger will be in the Venturini number 55 FP Movement Toyota, all entered it in Kansas as Venturini Motorsports cars. So uh, we can go ahead and cover the rest of the drivers that are going to be uh, in this uh, race at uh, Kansas. We'll start from the bottom up there, Jay. All right. The it feels like it's up. a two-man race, but there's a, there's a lot more than that that are competing. Well, and we do have some new names here as we, as we run up this entry entry list, some different names uh, this week here for the Arkham Menard Series. We'll start at the bottom, though, the, uh, of our list, the 06. That one's a regular, Wayne Peterson in his cell phone Chevrolet. Nate Moeller going to be the crew chief on the GreatRailing.com Chevrolet. Uh, Wayne Peterson coming out of Pulaski, Tennessee, just up the road from me a little ways. Uh, coming all the way out of Charlotte, North Carolina, though, that's going to be the O2 of Connor Mozak in the Tyler Young Chevrolet. Ryan London will be the crew chief for the Nick Taylor custom underwear machine. Okay. Uh, one of the first um, Hillenburg cars will be driven by D.L. Wilson, the 01 uh, Trading House Bar and Grill Chevrolet. Uh, Dick Delhaney will be on top of the Bitbox, and D.L. Wilson hails from March. Texas. 
And the number 91 uh, for a family-owned team is Justin Carroll from West Point, Virginia. He'll be uh, driving uh, with Carroll's Automotive on his uh, Toyota. And Terry Carroll, the owner, will be on top of the pit box. Well, we've seen this car start several races this year. Andy Jaconowak, uh in the number 73 Ford. Crew chief will be Mike Dayton, sponsored by Philip 66 Lubricants. And I get to say the fun one here. I believe it's Tonawanda, New York, is where he comes from. Uh, coming out of oh, okay. Rockford, Michigan. There we got Scott Melton. He's in the Melton McFadden Agency, number 69 Toyota. Bill Kimmel, the owner and crew chief, uh, in his ear for this race. Okay, the number 66 is still to be announced, uh, but whoever that driver will be, they'll be driving the Pedal and Pup uh, .com Ford in that number 66. Ron Vandermeer, Jr., the owner, and Tim Moreau will be on top of the pit box. Dave Lanier will be on top of the pit box for the Venturini-owned number 55, driven by Tony Bridinger from Indianapolis, Indiana. She'll be driving the FT Movement Toyota. And I think we talked about this one a little bit on Monday night's uh, review show coming up with some news. Dean Thompson going to be in the Cody Efa Chevrolet. Uh, machine number will be number 50. Thompson coming to Arlington, Texas. And they have the Thompson Pipeline Group uh, sponsor, along with Matt Weber as his crew chief. And then, as he's been all year, Brad Smith is going to bring his number 48 Chevrolet, Chevrolet, driving it, coming out of Shelby Township in Michigan. Jeff Smith will be his crew chief for the Life Worth Living Chevrolet. Okay, driving the number 46 this weekend uh, for uh, uh, the great great family, is J.P. Bergeron from Quebec, Canada. He'll be driving the Technoflex Ford, and Derek Smith will be on top of his pit box. Rich Burgess will be on top of the pit box for the family-owned uh, Huff team. Ryan Huff will be driving the number 36 uh, for the H&H Excavation Southeastern Services Ford, and Ryan Hales from Williamsburg, Virginia. Well, one we've got to chat with several times throughout the year, cell phone team Greg Van Alls will be driving the number 35 CB Fabricating Ford with Jim Long as his crew chief as Van Alls comes out of Anderson, Indiana. And then RSS Racing uh, making another start. The Rod Siegel and Chevrolet will be driven by Kyle Sieg in that number 28. He hails from Tucker, Georgia. And Tony Wilson will be the crew chief for this one. Okay, and the number 27 this weekend is Zachary Tinkle from Speedway, Indiana. Uh, he'll be driving the Indiana-owned Ford uh, for the Richmond family team with Wayne Peterson uh, as his crew chief. And the number 25 is Parker Chase from New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, again, he'll be driving that NXT LVL Marine Toyota for Venturini Motorsports, and Kevin Reed is on top of the pit box. i give you a little more information on the two we've talked about as far as being contenders all year for the championship. The number 20, Billy Venturini-owned 
Toyota. That'll be Corey Heim out of Marietta, Georgia, sponsored by JBL. Shannon Roosh uh, with him, as always, as the crew chief. And the same goes for Ty Gibbs, uh, regular crew chief Mark McFarland uh, with him for the Coy Gibbs-owned Toyota, number 18. He'll be sponsored by Monster Energy. Ty Gibbs resides Huntersville, North Carolina. Okay, another Venturini uh, car here. Drew Dollar will be behind the wheel of the number 15. He hails from Atlanta, Georgia, and will be driving the Sunbelt Rentals Toyota. And Billy Venturini is his crew chief. In the number 12 uh, for another Hillenburg uh, car this weekend is Tony Constantino from Mansfield, Ohio. He's driving the FastTrackRacing.com Toyota, and uh, I guess he's going to be crew chiefing his own car. Well, the other two you've mentioned have technically uh, listed Michelle Hillenburg as the owner. I'll cover two that are owned by Andy Hillenburg. Number 11, that'll be the Ron Vandemeyer Jr.-driven Mack Rack Incorporated Ford. Jeff McClure is the crew chief. Vandemeyer Jr. Uh, hails from Sheridan, Illinois. And then in the Toyota for Hillenburg, Arnott Cook comes out of Westville, South Africa. Uh, I'm not sure how many starts he's made, but I know he has made a couple throughout the uh, NASCAR ranks. He'll be in the number 10 Brand South Africa Power Maxed uh, Toyota. Mike Schroof as the crew chief there for that team. Okay, driving the uh, number seven for his own race team is Eric Cardell from Piedmont, Oklahoma. He'll be driving the Consolidated Electrical Distributors Toyota. Jeremy Petty will be on top of the pit box. Glenn Parker will be on top of the pit box for Raja Karu from Washington, D.C. He'll be driving the number six, Max Siegel Incorporated Chevrolet. The other uh, Max Siegel-owned, Max Siegel Incorporated-sponsored Chevrolet. That'll come from driver out of Miami, Florida, Nick Sanchez in the number two. Regular crew chief Steve Blattenberger finishing out the season there with that Rev Racing team. Okay. Now, there. I mentioned uh, the broadcast being on NBC Sports School Track Pass. It also lists here that it, uh, the broadcast will also be available on MRN and Sirius XM Channel 391 and online on Channel 981. So uh, another way that you can uh, take part in this race this weekend, the season finale. Uh, we can talk about the points. We know it's close between two drivers, um, kind of close, but Ty Gibbs has this one pretty much wrapped up. All right, let me get the uh, main series here pulled up. We mentioned Ty Gibbs does have that 30-point advantage going into this, uh, but what a phenomenal season by both these drivers. 19 races into the season so far. Mentioned Ty Gibbs having 10 victories. Corey Heim, six, that's 16 out of the 19. And when you go across the stat line, all the way across here, for Ty Gibbs, the 10 victories, 18 top fives, as well as 18 top tens, 10 poles. Mentioned the uh, laps led that he uh, obviously has uh, piled up. Average start at 2.0, average finish 3.1. 
slide down to Corey Hyman, second, six victories, 15 top fives, all 19 top ten. He's got three poles himself and mentioned he does have the uh, laps completed at 25-20, five more than Ty Gibbs. Uh, average start a little bit higher at 3.7, but the exact same average finish of 3.1. Then you drop Amazing. down to third. Yeah, those, uh, unbelievable between those two. Uh, drop down to third. There we find Nick Sanchez has made 17 of the starts, has eight top fives, 12 top tens. He is 305 points out uh, from the champ from the uh, points lead. But he does have company in Thad Moffitt. Uh, 16 races, five top fives, 12 top tens. Is at 331. So they're separated by 26 points. Uh, again, it would take a little bit of help for Thad to move up, but uh, it is possible with the number of starters there. Now, fifth place there, you have Thad Moff, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Brad Smith in fifth. Now, he's made 18 of the t- starts, 18 of the 19 starts, and with an average finish of 18.1, sits there in fifth as the next one down to make the most starts. Okay. Did you, you want me to run through six through tenth here? I know we still got a couple minutes. Yeah, go ahead and do six through tenth, and then then we'll go ahead and move on to the truck series. All right. Uh, D.L. Wilson sits six in points, has made 13 starts. Taylor Gray, uh, 11 starts eight of them being top fives, ten top tens out of those 11, uh, really came on strong once he was able to get racing. Drew Dollar, another one, 11 starts, five top fives, seven top tens. Uh, those two are separated by 24 points. And then you got Jesse Love, uh, mentioned him uh, in the West Series. He made 10 starts, does have a victory, as well as five top fives and all 10 top tens. Now, Kyle Sieg is your 10th spot right now with 10 starts, three uh, top fives and seven top tens. So I think there's some of these if we'd have seen, you know, playing the little what-if game there, if they'd have gotten a full season under their belt, I think we'd have saw more company up there with Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim. Yes, indeed. Uh, But those two really had an outstanding season and made it, uh, I think, very difficult for the other teams to compete against them. Uh, but let's go ahead now, and we're going to – well, first of all, do you have uh, a favorite for who act, who might actually win, considering that uh, Corey Heim already has a win under his belt there at Kansas? Yeah, uh, man, that would be a tough one uh, That to, to say uh, if Ty Gibbs wins, wins going away here to pick up the championship or if he kind of – I don't want to say relaxes may be the right word, but – He's got nothing to lose as long as he starts the race. So I think it could be a big battle between the two of them, which then sometimes plays into the outside driver. We've seen that. Um, it's only been three races, but we have seen somebody else sneak in. So I'd go with a dark horse, if you will, of, of somebody other than the top two. Uh, I'll do that. Ooh. Take the field versus the top two. <laughs> okay. That sounds exciting. Okay. Let's go ahead now and move on to the um... – NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, they are not racing this weekend, but they will be racing uh, next weekend, the United Rentals 200 at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, That's going to be an elimination race for all three series. 
So uh, make sure you tune in Saturday, October the 30th. Uh, race time is at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the purse is at $674,952. Uh, you can tune in for the pre-race uh, uh, information here. Oh, yeah, they do the purse for all three series. Uh, the pre-race will start on Fox Sports 1 starting at 12 p.m. Eastern, and radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 105.2 miles over 200 laps. Uh, the first two stages are 50 laps each, with the first stage ending on lap 50, the second stage on lap 100. The final stage is 100 laps and ends on lap 200. So, uh, again, they're not racing this weekend, but uh, we'll make sure that you're all up to date with what's happening in the truck series uh, so you're ready for that race at Martinsville. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize I had to unmute. Uh, The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, it is the round of eight contenders at Martinsville. And then they return, expect a lot of beating and banging on, on the racetrack as a lot will be on the line. Uh, take a quick look at the round of eight challengers at Martinsville Speedway. Again, nobody is locked in. That is, that is one of the most amazing things. Uh, I know they said it's happened one other time, but that is impressive uh, that we haven't had that yet this year. Now, first one on the list, John Hunter Nemechek has 12 races at Martinsville. One win, four top fives, five top tens. Does have three DNFs. Average finish is 14.3 for a driver rating of 86.3. Ben Rhodes has 10 races under his belt. He has two poles, but no victories. Three top fives, five top tens. Important key factor here, no DNFs. Average finish is 10.8. His driver rating, 93.2. And Matt Crafton, as we know, an experienced and veteran of this series, 37 starts, one pole, two victories, 10 top fives and 21 top tens. Uh, does have two, two DNFs. Again, average uh, finish right there where you want to be, a 10.8, and the driver rating a 98.3. Sheldon Creed only has four starts. <coughs> Excuse me. Four starts. Uh, unfortunately, only one top 10. His average finish is 13.8, and driver rating 83.9. Stuart Friesen, a little more experience, seven starts, one pole, one top five and four top tens. Average finish is 11.3 and 86.5 driver rating. Carson Hosevar, and again, uh, who did we say we were missing? Uh, Chandler Smith, it looks like it's skipping. We uh, talked about this last week. Obviously, it's going to be his uh, first series start at the track, so we don't have any stats to give with him. Uh, Carson Mm -hmm. Hosevar. And Zane Smith, they each got one start. Hosevar, uh, average finish is 13.0, driver rating is 74.3. Zane Smith's a little bit better as he got a top five out of the deal, so one top ten as well. It's a 3.0 and driver rating a 124.9. But, again, that is based off of one start. Exactly right. Now, there's a, there's a first-time real win. First-time winners trend in the Camping World Truck Series. Young Motors Sports, uh, Tate Fogelman was the fifth different first-time winner this season 
in the truck series with his surprising win just two weeks ago at Talladega Super Speedway. He joins Martin Truex Jr., who won at Bristol on dirt, Ryan Priest, who won at Nashville, Chandler Smith at Bristol, and Christian Eckes at Las Vegas. With Fogelman's victory, the 2021 season becomes the third consecutive season and 14th overall from 1995 to the present that the NASCAR NASCAR Camping World Truck Series has produced five or more first-time winners in one season. Every season since the inception of the series in 95, uh, they have produced at least one first-time winner, and the 2012 season uh, holds the record for the most first-time winners in the series in the single season at nine. Martinsville has been the home to 11 different first-time winners in this truck series, and the most recent was Todd Gilliland's win in 2019. That was an October race. Okay, starting from the bottom up here, uh, Bobby Hamilton won in the spring of 2000, uh, Scott Riggs in the spring of 2001, Jamie McMurray in the fall of 2004, followed by Ricky Craven, also in the fall of 2005, uh, Bobby Labonte in the spring of 2005, Timothy Peters won in the fall of 2009, Denny Hamlin in the fall of 2011, Bubba Wallace in the fall of 2013, Joy Logano in the spring of 2015, Nor Gregson in the fall of 2019, and as I mentioned earlier, Todd Gilliland in the fall of 2019. I would say the fall race has the most first-time winners, so we might see a first-time winner this weekend. Well, it would be cool to see, uh, unless you're in that uh, round of eight championship drivers, because, again, they're looking to guarantee themselves and not be dependent on uh, how everybody else finishes. And it is, as I mentioned, wide open, uh, with the non-playoff drivers taking those first two races of the NASCAR Camping World Chuck Series playoffs round of eight, that race for the championship four round, wide open, with all eight drivers still having a shot at the coveted four spots as it comes down to this final race of the round at Martinsville Speedway. So when we look at the clinch scenarios, nobody's clinched yet. To clinch three points, if there is a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, uh, the following drivers would clinch by being ahead of the fifth winless driver in the standings. The same points requirements would be true if a new winner comes from among the top four John Hunter Nemechek, Ben Rhodes, Matt Crafton, or Sheldon Creed. For that, John Hunter Nemechek, he'd need 20 points. Ben Rhodes at 21. Uh, Matt Crafton would need 46. Sheldon Creed, 51. That leaves Stuart Friesen, Chandler Smith, Carson Hosevar, and Zane Smith uh, needing some help. Now, if there's a new winner from Stuart Friesen or another winless driver lower in the standings, but still eligible to advance to the next round. Drivers uh, to clinch by being ahead of the fourth winless driver, John Hunter Nemechek would need 25, Ben Rhodes 26, Matt Crafton 51, but there then the line is drawn as Sheldon Creed on down, uh, Friesen, Chandler Smith, Hosevar, and Zane Smith. The others of those would need some help as well. But the simplest way, all eight drivers 
and clinch on their win alone this weekend. So any one of them gets that victory, they would move themselves on. Absolutely. Uh, Now then, the next thing we're going to look at here, uh, trying to see here, Camping World Truck Series, Martinsville Speedway awaits the penultimate Camping World Truck Series playoff race. They've waited a few weeks here. They've been on a uh, break since they raced at Talladega Super Speedway when Kate Fogelman won his first career victory. Uh, the series has just one weekend left to regroup before heading to Martinsville for that uh, penultimate race of the season. It's the United Rentals 200, as I mentioned earlier, and that's the race that will decide who advances to the championship four round. With the first two races of the Camping World Playoffs uh, being won by non-playoff drivers, including Christian Eckes at Las Vegas, and as I mentioned earlier, Kate Fogelman at Talladega, uh, and as Jay has mentioned, none of the eight uh, postseason contenders have secured a spot in the championship four round, which is the second time since the inception of the playoffs in the series in 2016 that none of the championship four drivers are locked in heading into the round of eight elimination race. Uh, that happened in 2019 as well. Now, Martinsville Speedway has participated in the cup, in the Truck Series playoffs since its inception into the series in 2016. Martinsville has occupied three different spots on the postseason schedule. From 2016 to 18, they hosted the fourth, fourth race of the playoffs. In 2019, it hosted the fifth race. And last season, it hosted the sixth race of the playoffs, the same event as this year. Uh, this year, this, this season marks just the second time that Martinsville has hosted that uh, penultimate race in the Truck Series playoffs from 20 to 21. Uh, they're also the second track to host the round of eight elimination race in the playoffs, joining Phoenix Raceway, who did it from 2016 to 19. The sixth race in the NASCAR Camping World Series playoffs has produced five different winners in as many races from 2016 to 20. Only one race has a non-playoff driver won the sixth race in the seven-race NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoffs, and that was Daniel Suarez, who did it in 2016. He elected to run for the title in the Xfinity Series that season. So the last four winners in the sixth race of the Truck Series playoffs catapulted them into the championship four round. So uh, starting with Daniel Suarez, uh, race number 22 uh, in November of 2016. Johnny Sauter did it in November of 17. Brett Moffat in November of 2018. Stuart Friesen in November of 2019. And Grant Infinger, uh, all of those races, by the way, were at Phoenix. And then Grant Infinger last year at Martinsville won in October the 22nd race uh, to put himself into the Final Four. The five playoff races that Martinsville Speedway has hosted, that they've hosted, has produced four different winners led by Thor Sport Racing's Johnny Sauter with two 
postseason victories at the half-mile track. That was in 2016 and 18. Again, uh, race number 20 at Martinsville, uh, there's three of them here. Johnny Sauter did it in October of 16, then Noah Gregson in October of 17, and Johnny Sauter again in October of 2018. Uh, the 21st race, Todd Gilliland did it at Martinsville in October of 2019. And in the 22nd race, as we mentioned earlier, Grant Infinger won at Martinsville in October of 2020. Of the playoff contenders this season, Hallmark Reasons Racing Stuart Friesen is the only former series winner that has won the sixth race in the playoffs to clinch his spot into the championship four rounds. He accomplished that feat in 2019 with a win at Phoenix. The winner of the sixth race in the truck series playoffs has gone on to win the title that same season only once. That was Brett Moffat, who did it in 2018. Moffat won at Phoenix Raceway and then won again at Homestead, Miami for the championship finale to secure the title. The winner at Martinsville Speedway, a race in the Truck Series playoffs, has gone on to win the title the same season only once as well. And that was Johnny Sauter, who did it in 2016. Sauter won at Martinsville then the fourth race in the postseason, and then went on to win the championship later that season. This year's Martinsville Speedway Truck Series playoff race will be 200 laps, as we mentioned earlier, and it will be broken up into the three stages uh, that we talked about, 50 laps each for the two stages and 100 laps for the last stage. Uh, Grant Dinfinger, of course, is the defending winner of this event. So uh, definitely looking forward to this Camping World Truck Series race uh, at Martinsville. Uh, and with it being an elimination race, you know it's going to be exciting, Jay. Uh, yes, most certainly. And I'm going to try and quick put you on the spot before you do me. Who do you think wins and the four that advance? Oh, that's a tough one. Um Zane Smith, I think, could be uh, the one surprise guy out of all of this. Uh, I'm going to say Zane Smith is my uh, dark horse here. I know he's not one of the eight, right? Yeah, he is one of the eight. Uh, So I think he's going to pull off the win. But uh, as a dark horse, I would pick him. Gosh, and then Matt Crafton would be my next choice. I think Matt Crafton could pull off the win at Martinsville this weekend. Well, that's, that's interesting. I, I'll actually go with the other one. Uh, we haven't, we couldn't talk about his stats at Martinsville because he's making a serious start, but a short track veteran, <laughs> if you will. We've seen it in the years past. Chandler Smith uh, pulling off that surprise victory. Again, those guys pretty much uh, need to win or – otherwise depend on others finish so i think we're going to see if we said it from the beginning some real heavy beating and banging um but i think chandler smith might be the one to pull off the victory in order to move himself in and okay. stuart free stuart friesen would be the other one if i had to pick from one of the others of a kind of a veteran uh in the uh, truck series friesen's another one that i think uh could 
I know it's not quite dirt track racing, but one of those that is, uh, they say, a lot transfers to the short track of Martinsville. Yes, indeed. Okay, so we're a little bit ahead of schedule, but we're going to need that time when we get to the Cup Series. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, move on to the Xfinity Series here. Uh, The Xfinity Series will be racing this weekend the Kansas Lottery 300 at Kansas Speedway on Saturday, October the 23rd. That race will take place at 3 p.m. Eastern. The purse for this one is $1,638,185. If you want to catch the pre-race coverage, that starts at 2.45 p.m. ET on NBC. And then radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 300 miles over 200 laps. The first two stages are 45 laps each, so stage one ends on lap 45, stage two on lap 90. The final stage is 110 laps, ending on lap 200. So uh, that's a pretty hefty purse for the extended well, drivers. Well, going to hit some notes here as it pertains first to 2022. Uh, I know this one's on our hot topics list. Brandon Jones will be returning to JGR in 2022. Joe Gibbs Racing announced that Brandon Jones will return to the team full-time in 2022 behind the wheel of the number 19 Toyota Supra. Jeff Mandering will also return as his crew chief, with Menards also back as the primary sponsor and will expand its longtime support of Jones with a full season of sponsorship for all 33 races in 2022. Yeah, that's really good news for Brandon Jones. Another announcement that came out this week, and I'm I'm happy for this driver as well, Nick Sanchez is making his Xfinity Series debut with BJ McLeod Motorsports, uh, and he's been driving in the Arkham Menard Series this year, but he's going to make a NASCAR Xfinity Series debut with the team uh, for several races in 2022. Sanchez is a member of the NASCAR Driver Diversity Program, and he's coming up from a full-time season in the Arkham Menard Series where he's earned eight top fives and 12 top tens this year. Additional details, including his partners and the schedule for Sanchez, uh, is yet to be announced, so uh, fans can watch for that information uh, to be coming out before the 22 season begins. I had not heard that one as of yet, so, yeah, super excited there for Nick Sanchez. Well, we're talking about the Xfinity Series, but the storyline still kind of the same. Sunoco Rookie of the Year (laughs) update, Gibbs is leading the way. Uh, It's been a back and forth between rookies Ty Gibbs and Josh Berry for the entire 2021 season in the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings. But currently... Gibbs now leads the standings with nine awards and 589 points. And so far this season, Gibbs has competed in 16 of 31 events and has three wins, eight top fives, nine top tens, and one pole award, uh, which are impressive numbers for a rookie who also won his first ever Xfinity Series start, which came at the Daytona Road Course back in February. Now, when we look at Josh Berry, he's competed in 21 of the 31 events this season. He's picked up two victories, 
six top fives and 14 top tens. A solid stat line of his own. Now, Barry was running a part-time schedule for junior motorsports, but is also filled in for an injured Michael Annette for a few races as well. He's currently second in the rookie standings right now with eight awards and 525 points, which is 64 behind Gibbs. As those two kind of split the attention, they do have some others that have picked up the award. Jade Buford sits at 284 points, has picked up the Best Finishing Rookie Award three times. Ryan Vargas at 272 points, has won it four times. And then Sam Mayer, who took over for that number eight in junior motorsports that Josh Berry was in, 250 points, and won the award five times. Okay, that's fantastic. Uh, Now, the Xfinity Series playoff drivers are following that yellow brick road all the way to Kansas this weekend. Uh, But uh, after the race at Texas Motor Speedway last weekend, all eight drivers in the playoff are still fighting for a spot in the championship four rounds. And this weekend at Kansas, uh, none of them have clinched their spot. So it's very similar to the truck series. Uh, There's a few that could clinch this weekend, and we'll tell you how that can happen. If there's a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, uh, these drivers could clinch by being 56 points above the fourth winless driver in the standings. The same points requirements uh, would hold true if a new new win comes from A.J. Allmendinger, Austin Sindrick, or Justin Algauer, who happen to be the top three drivers. All three of those drivers can only clinch with with some help. Uh, If there's a new winner from Noah Gregson or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, these drivers can clinch by being 56 points above the third winless driver in the standings. And again, that's A.J. Allmendinger and Austin Sindrick. Um, Okay, again, the best way is to get a win, and all eight drivers can clinch on a win alone. Uh, So those eight drivers are A.J. Allmendinger, Austin Sindrick, Justin Algauer, Noah Gregson, Daniel Hemrick, Justin Haley, Harrison Burton, and Brandon Jones. Right now, it's Daniel Hemrick, Justin Haley, and Harrison Burton, along with Brandon Jones, that are below uh, the cut line for this round of eight. So Jeff Burton, Myatt Snyder, and Riley Earps, along with Jeremy Clements, were already eliminated from the playoffs. Um, And uh, these other drivers are are uh, now in the mix to be eliminated, but a lot can happen because it's very close in the middle here. You've got A.J. Allmendinger at the top with 3,090 points, five wins, 10 stage wins, and 50 playoff points. He's 30 points above the cut line. Austin Sindrick, 26 points above the cut line. He also has five wins, 10 stage wins, and 44 playoff points. Justin Algauer, though, this is where it starts getting tight. He has three uh, – Austin Sindrick, by the way, had 3,086 points, so that's just four points from A.J. Allmendinger. Justin Algauer has 3,064 points. He's got the two race wins, three stage wins for 21 playoff points. He's four points from the cutoff. 
Noah Gregson, just four, two points behind Al Gower at 3,062 points. He has the two wins, three stage wins, and 17 playoff points. Again, two points above the cut line. So that's a pretty tight swing there. Uh, Daniel Hemrick, two points below that cut line by two points. He's got the nine stage wins and 16 playoff points. Uh, Justin Haley uh, is four points behind Hemrick. He's six points from the cut line at 3,056 points. He's got the one race win, five stage wins, and 15 playoff points. Now, the spread gets a little bit thicker here. Harrison Burton at 3,041 has the two-stage wins and eight playoff points. He's 21 points back. And Brandon Jones at 3,030 points has no wins, one-stage win, and three playoff points. He's 32 points back. And this is where it becomes really apparent just how important those playoff points are. When you think about A.J. Allmendinger having 50 playoff points, if you added 50 points to Brandon Jones, he'd be above the cutoff line. So that's how important those playoff points are uh, to accumulate during the uh, regular season. Heading into this weekend, A.J. Allmendinger, Austin Sindrick, Justin Algauer, and Noah Gregson, uh, again, are the ones above the cut line. Uh, with the series uh, heading to Texas last weekend, uh, the, the, they look very similar to before Texas. But when it comes down to these final races this season, those numbers can certainly be shaken up fairly easily. If a driver has one bad race, they can find themselves going from above the cut line to below. Almondinger is 30 points above the cut line and has 50 playoff points and five wins this season. He has the most comfortable points buffer of all the drivers ranked in first in the standings. Fendrick at 26 above uh, is, but from there, Algauer again and Gregson only two points above. Hemrick is only two points below. Uh, Jones has the biggest deficit to fight back at 32 points below in eighth, but as we know, anything can happen in the playoffs, and especially as we head to the track. Jones is very good at, he does have two wins at that track, and all it takes is a win and you're in for all eight of the playoff drivers. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens this weekend. It most certainly is, and I do expect here we do see one of the eight, they'll lock themselves in. I don't see in the Xfinity series here necessarily the uh, trend continuing of non-playoff drivers, but we'll have to wait and see. And when we talk about the uh, 2021 round of eight Xfinity series driver at Kansas, the, this weekend's race at Kansas Speedway is the second race of the round of eight for the NASCAR Xfinity series playoffs. All eight drivers still fighting for that spot in the championship four round with only three chances left to do so. Uh, as they began last weekend at Texas, nobody capitalized on it. Kansas this weekend and then Martinsville on Halloween weekend. Now, with no drivers locked into the championship four round, uh, round of four yet, we'll take a look at their driver performances at Kansas Speedway. The bottom two here. Uh, Justin Haley 
He's driver of the number 11 Colleg Racing Chevrolet. He's going to be making his fourth start at Kansas this weekend. He's collected one top five and three top tens at the track, meaning he's never finished outside the top ten in all three of his starts. His average finish is 11.0. I'm sorry, average start, 11.0. The average finish is lower at 5.7. His best finish came last season in this race where he started ninth and finished fourth. Karen just talked about him a lot, the Brandon Jones, driver of the number 19, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, uh, make his seventh Xfinity Series start at Kansas on Saturday. His first came back in 2016. Now, Kansas has been good to Jones in the past. He's got the two wins, two top fives, and four top tens. He won the race in 2019, and he won the spring race in Kansas in 2020. Most recently, he started fifth and finished ninth in the race in the 2020 season. The average start is 6.7, and the average finish of 11.0. He's led a total of 20 laps there at Kansas. Next up, uh, we have Harrison Burton. He's the driver of the number 20 JGR Toyota. He's made three starts at Kansas and has one top five and one top ten in those three starts, with a best finish of third in the spring Kansas race uh, last year. Most recently, he started 18th in this race and finished 11th. Then there's Daniel Hemrick, the driver of the number 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He's making his fifth start at Kansas this Saturday, and he has two top fives and three top tens in his previous four starts. He's led a total of 128 laps. He has an average start of 5.8 with an average finish of 7.3. Most recently, he started third and finished runner-up in this race just last year. Moving up, we got Noah Gregson. He's a driver of the number nine junior motorsports Chevrolet. He's made three starts, Xfinity Series starts already at Kansas Speedway. In those three, he has a best finish at 13th uh, from his first start in 2019. Most recently, he started on the pole in 2020, but finished 36 after being involved in an incident. Uh, That puts his average start at 7.0, but an average finish of 21 points. Next up, we got teammate and driver of the number seven junior motorsport Chevrolet is Justin Allgaier. He'll be making his 12th Kansas Speedway start on Saturday. His first start came back in 2009 when he started 18th and finished 6th. He has a total of three top fives and eight top tens in the 11 starts so far, and he has an average start and finish of 10.7, very consistent. Most recently, he finished 10th in the race last season. Okay, next up are the top two drivers. The driver of the number 16, Colleg Racing Chevrolet, will visit Kansas Speedway for the second time in his Xfinity Series career, the first time since 2007. He made his first and only start at Kansas then and started eighth, but he finished 25th. Next is uh, the number one driver of the number two, 22, Team Penske Ford. He's made four starts at Kansas Speedway in an Xfinity Series career. His first start was in 2019 when he started fourth and finished 39th due to, because of a crash 
in the opening lap of the race. Most recently, the series visited Kansas last year, and Cindric started second and finished 28th after being involved in another incident. He has his best finish of runner-up from the spring Kansas race last year, and he has an average start of 3.3, but an average finish because of those other two incidents of 23.5. So uh, a lot for Austin Cindric there to uh, overcome this year. As, Jay, as we look at mute? the facts, yeah. no, I didn't think I was. No, there we go. All right, we look at the Xfinity facts and figures for the Kansas Speedway edition for the Xfinity series. Uh, they come up with it, coming up to the Kansas Lottery 300 on Saturday, October 23rd for race number two in the round of eight. They head to the 1.5-mile track for the first time this season. There's been a total of 21 NASCAR Xfinity Series races at Kansas Speedway, producing 16 different race winners and 15 different pole winners. Only two Xfinity races at Kansas have ever been won from the pole or first starting position. The most recent goes back to 2016, done by Kyle Busch. Parker Kligerman holds the record as the youngest pole winner at 19 years, one month and 25 days, did it in 2009. Matt Kenseth, the oldest pole winner in history, he was 43 years, seven months and seven days back in 2015. Talk about winner, Joey Logano holds the record as the youngest winner for the Kansas Xfinity Series history. He was 19 years, four months and nine days, and that came in 2009. And then former series champion, haven't heard this name in a while, David Green, the oldest Kansas winner in history at 45 years, eight months, six days, and that was in 2003. Uh, Christopher Bell holds the race record from 2017. It was 141.158 miles per hour. And Kenseth Kenseth also holds the qualifying record that was from 2015 at 184.906 miles per hour. Uh, last season, there were 36 cars in the field. We had a total of 10 lead changes with six different leaders. There were 10 cautions for 45 laps, and there were 14 cars running on the lead lap, only 29 cars running at the finish. Race winner Chase Briscoe led 159 laps, Margin of victory was 1.199 seconds. Now, Kyle Busch's name is at the top of the list at Kansas Speedway for the Xfinity Series. Uh, For several reasons, he has the most wins at four, top fives at eight, most top tens at ten, and most lead lap finishes also at ten, and most laps completed at 2,344, and then the most laps led at 544. Brandon Jones is the only active driver with a win in the last five races at Kansas. Mentioned he won in 2019 and 2020, but win in 2019 being the first of his career. Okay. Well, when it comes to the number 54 at Joe Gibbs Racing, they've scored 10 wins this season, uh, which means that the championship four is still up for grabs. It was another win by a non-playoff driver last weekend at Texas when John Hunter Nemechek 
took the Joe Gibbs Racing number 54 Toyota to Victory Lane to give its team, uh, the team, its 10th uh, win of the season, which is the series best. Nemechek overcame a late race pit road penalty and then charged through the field to hold off the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff drivers fighting for their spot in the championship four rounds. Now, Nemechek currently runs full-time in the truck series for Kyle Busch Motorsports, and he's currently a playoff driver in that series. But he did get behind the wheel of the JGR Toyota for the first time this season. That win marks the second of his Xfinity Series career, and he joins Ty Gibbs, Christopher Bell, and as a winner in the number 54. Nemechek's JGR teammate, Daniel Hemrick, finished runner-up in the number 18 Toyota, followed by Noah Gregson, Algauer, Sindrich, Almendinger, Haley, Harrison Burton, Michael Annette, and Brandon Jones. Again, all eight drivers finished in the top ten at Texas. Uh, this weekend, they'll be racing the Kansas Lottery 300 at Kansas Speedway, uh, and this is going to be their first visit at the track for the series since 2020 when Chase Briscoe was victorious. Now, the starting lineup for this weekend's race was set by the metric qualifying, and as a result of that, Hemrick will lead the field to green with Sindrick joining him on the front row. And following them will be Algauer, Gregson, Almondinger, Haley, Harrison Burton, Annette, Jones and Ty Gibbs making up the top 10 starting positions. Uh, again, the race is going to be 300 miles over 200 laps. So uh, that's going to be pretty exciting uh, to see what happens with that number 54 Toyota. Will they make it 11 wins this season? Well, I know this kind of ties into real quick before we move to the Cup Series. Uh, talking about John Hunter Nemechek, uh, he's going to be the one running that car come Phoenix for the actual championship race. So that's going to be interesting in and of itself. Yes, indeed, because he could be the spoiler to win that race. Uh, most certainly. Okay, next up, uh, again, we're going to go ahead and go in because there's a lot to cover for the Cup Series. They'll be racing the Hollywood Casino 400 at Kansas Speedway on Sunday, October the 24th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We mentioned that the purse for the uh, uh, Xfinity race was over $1 million. Well, the purse for this Cup Series race is $7,972,577. The race will start at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. Radio coverage is also going to be available on MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio, Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 400.5 miles over 267 laps. The first two stages are 80 laps each, with stage one ending on lap 80, stage two on lap 160, and then the final stage will be a hundred and yeah, 107 laps. And that will end on lap 267. Well, for the what Cup Series, the- one, quick, yeah, one quick note here. 
Uh, Parker Kligerman going to make his first cup start since 2019. The NBC Sports Pit reporter and part-time uh, NASCAR Camping World Truck Series driver, uh, Parker Kligerman, will be piloting the number 96 Gaunt Brothers Racing Toyota this weekend in the Hollywood Casino 400 at Kansas Speedway uh, for the first time in the Cup NASCAR Cup Series since 2019. Kligerman made his tr- series track debut at Kansas Speedway in 2019, where he started 32nd and finished 29th. But he also has a win at the 1.5-mile track in the Arca Menard Series in 2009. And I know we talked about this with Todd Bodine. I think that's a great thing uh, to talk about him being a NBC Sports Pit reporter, having that on-track experience. Absolutely. Okay, now there's seven drivers that are going to be fighting for three spots that are left in the championship four. Uh, Kyle Larson won last week, so that uh, puts him into the final four, the first driver to be in the final four in NASCAR's top series. Uh, So there are only two races left in the Cup Series round of eight, including this weekend's Hollywood Casino 400 at 3 p.m. on NBC Sports Network. Uh, and we'll take a look at those seven drivers. This is pretty quick, so I think I'm going to do all seven, all of these drivers, Jay, because uh, this is, it looks like it's pretty top line info here. Um, okay. Okay, so you've got uh, Kevin Harvick, Christopher Bell, Kurt Busch, Tyler Reddick, William Byron, Eric Almarola, Alex Bowman, and Michael McDowell are all eliminated. Those are the eight drivers that have already been eliminated from the series uh, competition in the playoffs. Four drivers below the cut line right now include Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, Martin Truex Jr., and Joey Logano. And the drivers above that cut line are Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, and Kyle Busch. So, uh, again, this is going to be interesting Kyle Busch, eight above. Chase Elliott, eight below. Uh, Martin Tru- uh, Keselowski, 15 below. Truex is 22 below. And Joey Logano has the biggest hole to dig out of. He's 43 below. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Kyle Busch, eight above. Denny Hamlin, just nine above. So one point difference there. Ryan Blaney, a little bit bigger cushion with 17 above, and Kyle Larson already clenched in. So uh, I'm going to go down the list here. Uh, Ryan Blaney's made 13 starts at Kansas, posting three top fives and six top tens. Uh, Denny Hamlin's made 26 starts at Kansas, posting three wins, eight top fives and nine top tens. Kyle Busch, with 27 starts, has two wins, nine top fives and 13 top tens. Chase Elliott's made 11 starts, posting one win, five top fives and seven top tens. Brad Keselowski, with 23 starts, has posted two wins, seven top fives and 13 top tens. Martin Truex Jr., he's made 26 starts at Kansas, posting two wins, nine top fives, and 13 top tens. Joey Logano, I mentioned, has the biggest hole to dig out of. Well, he's made 24 starts at Kansas, three wins, eight top fives, and nine top tens. So uh, he could be the one to kind of break things up 
uh, and come from the back all the way up to the front with a win this weekend. Well, we know that's uh, very possible, and I'm sure 100% his intent (laughs) going into this weekend. (laughs) Yes. Now, when we look at the clinch scenarios for Kansas, uh, at Kansas Speedway, again mentioned seven drivers vying for three spots as Kyle Larson's win last weekend at Texas has secured him one of the four positions in the championship four round. Now, interestingly, six of the seven playoff contenders are looking for the championship four spot, our former NASCAR Cup Series Kansas Speedway winners. Mentioned Kyle Larson. He's the only one to have clinched so far uh, with his win at Texas, the first race of the round. If there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, uh, drivers could clinch by being 56 points above the third winless driver in the standing. Point requirements uh, below would be listed. Hold true if the new win comes from among either Ryan Blaney or Denny Hamlin. With that, both Denny Hamlin and Ryan Blaney could still only clinch uh, with some help. Now, if there's a new winner from Kyle Busch or another winless driver lower in the standings, but still eligible to the advance to the next round. The following driver would have to be 56 points above the second winless driver, and that's Ryan Blaney, but he could only do it with help. Uh, Clinching via win, always a secure way to go. That could include Blaney, Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, uh, Brad Keselowski, Martin Truex Jr., or Joey Logano. And what that tells you, every one of those I listed need help. That's how tight the points are. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, now there is one driver, though, who has already clinched his spot into the championship four, and that's Kyle Larson. He has the most wins of eight this season, and uh, he's already locked up his bid for that championship four round. Uh, The Hendrick Motorsports Kyle Larson is, uh, no one is surprised, the front runner for the NASCAR Cup Series title this season. It's the first time that the Californian has qualified for the Cup Series Playoffs Championship for a round, which will guarantee his career best finish in the final standings, uh, which up until this year was fixed, and that was in 2019. With three races left in the season, Larson also has the opportunity to etch his name alongside some of the greatest to ever compete in the series if he can reach double-digit wins in a single season. Right now, he has eight victories this year. If Larson reaches 10 or more wins this season, he will become just the 11th different driver in the Cup Series, modern era, which is from 1972 to the present to accomplish that feat. Now, it also become just the second driver alongside Jimmy Johnson, who had 10 wins in 2007. Uh, he would become the, only the second driver since 2000 to do it and the only active driver to achieve it, scrubbing Kevin Harvick's current record of most wins in a cup season among active drivers at nine wins last year. Now, Larson has made 13 starts at uh, Kansas Speedway, posting three top fives and five top tens. He finished 19th after starting 32nd at Kansas earlier this season. Uh, But that is deceptive because 
even if he's never been at the track before, Kyle Larson is a threat, no matter what track it is. Uh, most certainly with the momentum that he's carrying this year, you have to believe so there. Now we're going to go through uh, some quick facts of the NASCAR Cup Series when it comes to Kansas Speedway. As groundbreaking for groundbreaking for Kansas Speedway was held back on May 25th, 1999. The official opening of Kansas Speedway was in 2001, with the first events being an Arkham Menard Series race and an Arkham Menard Series West race on the same day, which was on June 2nd. The first NASCAR Cup Series race at Kansas Speedway was held on September 30th, 2001. The race was won by a Hendrick Motorsports driver and NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon. I don't know why it specifies it was Chevrolet, but it was in a Chevrolet. During the 2012 season, between the April and October events, the 1.5-mile track underwent a repave, adding variable banking in the corners, uh, 17 to 20 degrees. In total, there's been 31 NASCAR Cup Series events at Kansas Speedway, one event from 2001 to 2010, and then two, two races per year since 2011. In 31 Cup Series races, has produced 16 different pole winners, and six of the 16 NASCAR Cup Series Speedway pole winners are active this weekend, led by Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick with five holes. When we look at the active pole winners, mentioned Kevin Harvick has full, uh, five coming in 2013, a sweep of 14, and then 18 and 19. Martin Truex and Joey Logano each have a pair. Truex is coming in 16 and 17. Logano's in 15 and 18. Then with one each, you got Ryan Blaney, Brad Keselowski, and Kurt Busch. Uh, Blaney's coming in 17, Keselowski in 15, Kurt Busch is going back to 2011. <clears throat> and this weekend's uh, starting lineup was decided by the metric qualifying. As a result, we got Hendrick Motorsports' Kyle Larson starting from the pole, and Team Penske's Ryan Blaney is going to join him on that front row. A six of the 31 NASCAR Cup Series races at Kansas Speedway, they're 19 point. 3-5% have been won from the pole or the first starting position, which is the most proficient starting position in the field. Go back to uh, Joe Nemechek in 2004, Jimmy Johnson in 08, uh, Matt Kenseth, the spring of 13, Kevin Harvick, the playoffs in 13, Truex, the playoffs in 17, Harvick in the spring of 18 uh, are the ones that have done it so far. Now, plus eight of the 31 NASCAR Cup Series races have been won from the front row, and that's a 25.8%. Deepest in the field that a race winner has started at Kansas Speedway is 25th. That's held by Brad Keselowski coming in the spring of 2011. Now, eight of the 15 NASCAR Cup Series Kansas Speedway winners are active this weekend. Start at the top of the list, uh, Actually, it's a three-way tie at the top. Three wins for Denny Hamlin for uh, 2012, 19, and 20. Joey Logano did it in 2014, 15, and 20. Kevin Harvick's came in 2013, 16, and then in 18. 
We've got a pair by Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, and Martin Truex. Start with Keselowski's. His came in 2011 and 2019. Kyle Busch in 2016 and 2021. Truex did his in the same year in 2017 where he's... And we also have Chase Elliott, who has one from 2018. And Ryan Newman, the Rocket Man, did it in 2003. Now, five drivers are tied for the all-time lead in wins in the NASCAR Cup Series at Kansas Speedway. Mentioned three victories each. And it also includes Jeff Gordon in 2001, 2, and 14. And then we talked about Harvick of 13, 16, and 18. Jimmy Johnson also falls in there, 2008, 11, and 15. And then I talked about Hamlin in 12, 19, and 20, and Joey Logano of 14, 15, and 20. Team Penske's Joey Logano is the most recent playoff race winner at Kansas as he grabbed that victory last season. That bodes well for him this weekend. And then Joe Gibbs Racing's Kyle Busch, the most recent winner at Kansas, as he picked up the win back in May. Okay. Now then, we are going to look at uh, uh, Kansas Speedway being set uh, for the Canastar Cup Series playoffs. Hendrick Motorsports driver Kyle Larson became the first Kinder to, again, secure his spot into that championship for a round with his win last week at Texas. Now, there are seven playoff challengers having just two more chances uh, left in order to compete for those last three spots, including this Sunday's Hollywood Casino 400 at Kansas Speedway. Remember, a playoff driver can advance to the championship for, of course, with a round but with only three races in the round of eight, one driver is guaranteed to get in on points. Now, Kansas Speedway is the last uh, 1.5-mile track on the schedule, and this paved oval boasts a variable-degree banking in the turns that fluctuate between 17 and 20 degrees. Since the Cup Series playoff inception in 2004, Kansas Speedway has participated in and played a pivotal role in the postseason, occupying six different positions on the playoff schedule throughout the years. From 2004, 5, 11, 13, and 14, they hosted the fourth race in the playoffs. From 2006 to 10, Kansas hosted the third race. And from 2015 to 16, they hosted the fifth race in the postseason. Uh, then they went on to host the sixth race of the playoffs in 2012, 17, 18, and 19. And last year, Kansas Speedway hosted the seventh race in the playoffs. The 21 season marks the first time that Kansas has hosted the eighth race of the cup, the second race in the round of eight. Kansas is also the third different track to host the eighth race in the Cup Series playoffs, race number 35. They joined Phoenix Raceway, who was the eighth race in 2004, and Texas in 2005 and 2020. Now, a total of 12 different drivers have won the Cup Series playoff races at Kansas. Team Penske's Joy Logano leads the Cup Series and playoff wins at Kansas with three postseason victories, including 2014, 15, and just last year. Uh, in race number 30, 
uh, two drivers, Joe Nimacek in the fall of 2004 and Martin in the fall of 2005. Uh, race number 29, I believe there are five drivers. Uh, Tony Stewart in October of 2006, Greg Biffle in 2007, Jimmy Johnson in September of 2008, Tony Stewart in sep- October of 2010, or nine, I'm sorry, and Greg Biffle in October of 2010. Uh, again, the 30th race, it was Jimmy Johnson who did it in October of 2011. Two more who did it on the 30th race are Kevin Harvick in October of 2013 and Joy Logano in October of 2014. 32nd race, it looks like there's uh, four drivers. Matt Kenseth did it in October of 2012. Uh, Joy Logano, I'm sorry, 32nd. Uh, Martin Truex in October of 17. And Chase Elliott in October. October of 2018, along with Danny Hamlin in October of 2019. As the 33rd race of this season, only one driver has done that, and that was Joey Logano in October of 2020, just last year. As the 31st race, two drivers did it, Joey Logano in October of 15, and Kevin Harvick in October of 2016. Twice, the winner of the NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Kansas has gone on to win the title in the same season. Jimmy Johnson did it in 2008. He won at Kansas Speedway uh, in the playoff race, and he did that from the pole, leading 124 laps. He then went on to win his third consecutive series title later that season. Kansas was the third race in the playoffs in 2008. The Kansas win was the first of three playoff wins in route to the, his 2008 title for Jimmy Johnson. In 2017, Martin Truex won the Kansas race in the Cup, uh, and again he did it from the pole, leading 91 laps, and then went on to win the first NASCAR Cup Series title later that season. Kansas then was the sixth race in the playoffs in 2017. The Kansas win was the second of four playoff victories en route to his championship in 2017 for Martin Truex. Three non-playoff drivers have won the uh, playoff race at Kansas. In 2004, John Joe Nemechek won the playoff race at Kansas and was ranked 21st in points at the time of that win. In 2006, NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart won the Cup Series playoff race at Kansas and was the 11th in points at the time of his victory. And in 2007, it was Greg Biffle winning that Cup Series playoff race at Kansas. He was 14th in the points at the time of that win. The worst finish in the NASCAR Cup playoff race at Kansas Uh, by a driver that went on to win the championship later in the same season, was 15th, and that was by NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart in 2011. Last year's season champion, Chase Elliott finished 6th in the playoff race at Kansas. A total of eight different drivers have won the eighth race in the Cup Series playoff, race number 34. Jimmy Johnson leads that list. Uh, in the Cup Series playoff race, number 
with eight victories and uh, number race number eight. He had a five victories in 2007, 12, 13, 14, and 15, all at Texas Motor Speedway. Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick leads all active drivers in the Cup Series uh, with wins in race number eight. He had three in 2017, 18, and 19, again, all at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, now, of the drivers who have won race number eight in the playoffs, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is the only driver to have done that at Phoenix in November of 2004. All the rest were at Texas, including Carl, Carl Edwards' win in 2005 in November, Tony Stewart in November of 2006, Jimmy Johnson November of 2007, Carl Edwards in 2008, Kurt Busch in 2009, Hamlin in 10, Stewart in 11, Jimmy Johnson in 12, 13, 14, and 15, Carl Edwards in 16, Kevin Harvick in 17, 18, and 19, and Kyle Busch being the most recent driver in 2020. We are now at the top of the hour, and it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And we do have uh, another Fan for Racing crew member joining us for that conversation, and that's Tommy Kraft. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, how are you all? Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure, and uh, we're look for- looking forward to our Hot Topics conversation here tonight. Uh, and Tommy, since you're joining us, uh, I know Jay is also here as well, right, Jay? Yeah, I am still here. <laughs> okay. Um, Jay, uh, why don't you kick us off for tonight? That way Tommy gets to uh, have the first say. All right. Uh, I just came across this when I saw it earlier. I put it up, and Mike already chimed in, so I'll get to his uh, – his, I'll represent him tonight. But Kyle, Kyle Bush kind of went on a rant, if you will, about young drivers kind of in defense of Martin Truex in the situation with Daniel Suarez. Okay. So, uh, Tommy, what are your thoughts about that? I I don't understand why why he's saying anything at all. I mean, let's just think about the Harvick and Elliott situation and – when I think of the Harvick and Elliott situation, I think of the Elliott Logano at Bristol. I think of Kenseth and Logano. I think of Harvick and Ricky Rudd. I mean, there's always rivalries and beef between young drivers and new drivers. So I don't – or young drivers and older drivers. I mean, that, nothing's changed. I remember Kurt Busch and Jimmy Spencer in the early 2000s. Uh, like I said, Kevin Harvick and Ricky Rudd, that was another one. That was back when Harvick was two or three years in the sport. So I don't understand Kyle Busch's comments. And then if you think back to it, you, you could think to him in the truck series against Ron Hornaday. I mean, it, nothing's really changed in the past 20 years, or even probably before then when I don't really remember, like Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, and drivers like that. So, I mean, there's always rivalries, and there's always young drivers that have to kind of learn and gain the respect of the veteran drivers. So, 
there's always going to be stuff like this. I don't understand why he's really commenting on that. Yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, you know, even even with the dust up between Martin Truex and uh, Daniel Suarez, Truex, uh, you know, I thought was pretty good in the interview at least uh, by taking some of the credit uh, accountability for what happened on the track, and he, I, I thought he was going to blame uh, the younger driver. But in the end, he didn't do that. And Daniel Suarez said he was just going to hold his line, which is exactly what he did. Um, So you're right. This is nothing new. Uh, This has been going on for a long time. I remember Kurt Busch talking about Jimmy Spencer being, what do you call him, a has-been driver. Uh, And uh, that that was a big rivalry uh, back in the day. But um, Kyle Busch is never happy unless he's winning. And I understand what he's saying. He's saying that these guys have ruined the sport. And I will say I have noticed a difference in um, an attitude about driving on the track uh, from the younger generation. It's kind of like when it comes down to that last lap, it's anything goes. uh, And if you have to bump the guy out of the way, they don't care. They're going to do it. Uh, As you guys know, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of racing. I'd rather see them uh, race for the win rather than trying to bump somebody out because I feel like I could get on the track and bump drivers out of the race in order to win. So to me, that's that's not really talent. Um, But uh, I agree with them on the one side. But I, I also take into consideration that it is Kyle Busch, and Kyle Busch is never happy unless he's winning. Uh, I think it's wrong for drivers to think that other drivers should just pull over for them so that they can pass them. To me, that doesn't take a whole lot of talent either. So I, 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 can, I can argue both sides of this very easily. Uh, I I don't think that drivers should expect other drivers to pull over for them. Uh, but at the same time, I do think drivers need to drive with more respect. Uh, and sometimes we don't see uh, much respect for the playoff drivers. Not that I'm expecting them to totally pull over. Uh, I'm not expecting them to do that. But I do uh, think that the drivers should be racing one another for their positions on the track. So, Jay, let's hear what you have to say. Well, I got to say, I, I'd, I'd put the thumbs on, on Mike's comments with it and said I'd represent him, but you, you have given a, a little bit different perspective there, uh, Sharon, and I'll address that. Let me start with, oh, no, it's, I shut it down. Uh, Mike's comments first was, I really got no sympathy for him. I'm old enough to remember back when Gordon, Rusty Wallace, Ricky Rudd, etc., were saying the same thing about the Bush brothers and other drivers from his generation. And, and that's one that I think it's odd for Kyle Bush to be the one in this position saying it. Harvick, I can understand a little <laughs> bit more. But you've already mentioned, I mean, Harvick had his run-ins as far as when he came in and the drivers he went head-to-head with, uh, you know, the leaping over the car to, to Ricky Rudd being one of them. Uh, that clip still mm-hmm. gets played frequently. So, you know, it's kind of a funny from that aspect. 
But there is some truth in in this case. He didn't specifically address it. There's a couple of things you go deep enough of. Some of the drivers, as Mike would put it, that have family money or the pay-to-race uh, situation that aren't team owners, which Kyle Busch is, has been, or grew up working on their own cars, you know, to get them to the track week in, week out. You know, they just show up and drive somebody else's car. That mentality mm-hmm. versus one that is in there working on their own car or whether they own it or not, in there working on the car. And I think there is something to be said for that when you have of how you race when you have come from that background um, overall. So there is some truth to that. Now, when it comes to the whole pushing and bumping and banging thing, I think that is a whole is a change in the way NASCAR does business with this playoffs, mm-hmm. with the uh, win and you move on. And we've seen it every position on the track mid race, the stage points. Every position on the track matters. So there is a little bit more aggressiveness across the board in order to be successful and win at this top level. So NASCAR has kind of created that, which is what their intent was. You know, do the drivers take it to an extreme? I don't know that we've necessarily seen that. But I think some of it is, uh, such as Kevin Harvick and and Kyle Busch, reacting to it because they're on the short end of it, like you said. Kyle's not happy unless he's winning. And having an eighth place finish, he was just a little frustrated. He knows that seven positions that he's got to make up now. Okay, Tommy, your follow up. Yeah, I remember Kyle Bush like a few years ago, also talking about the guys that are usually in the back uh, in you know positions thirty through forty that are constantly getting lapped, being in his way. So. Um, you did bring up a good perspective, though, on the how the newer generation does race. Cause even though I said it hasn't changed, cause I mean, what I meant there was younger drivers and veteran drivers beats in like Kurt Busch and Jimmy Spencer and stuff like that. But I have noticed in some of the ARCA highlights I've seen between like Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim and like those younger guys. You're right. They do just put the bumper up to there and move people out of the way. And I mean, I, I kind of watched some of that Winchester um, uh, race a couple months ago, the Ty Gibbs one, I think, or Corey Hunt, but I'm not sure. But I just remember that. I mean, they were just moving each other with their bumpers and, you know, crashing each other. And that's not going to fly at the cup level very long because the other drivers will park their car in front of them, wreck them, you know, Joey. Joey doesn't, Denny Hamlin, they're not going to tolerate that kind of stuff or Kyle Busch. So. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting. And I, I I just don't understand the comments at all because he wrecked Ron Hornaday at Texas, just <laughs> like how he had problems at Texas this weekend. So I don't know. I think it's just I think it's just Kyle Bush not being happy uh with that eighth place finish. Um but but again I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth and I know that I am. Uh but I do I do think that he is making a point, uh a good point about how some of these guys are racing. You say that it's not going to be tolerated, and I I would agree with you, but what's going to happen when these drivers like Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick and and some of these, Denny Hamlin, when they retire, 
um, that the, <laughs> these drivers are going to continue to drive that way. But here's the thing that I think will stop them, and I think it's team owners. Uh, and we've talked about it with Noah Gregson. Noah Gregson had to tone himself down because he was out there rushing cars left and right. And we've seen other drivers do this that have come up through the ranks, including, uh, you know, Jeff Gordon and some of the other drivers that when they first started, they wrecked a lot of cars. Um, but team owners aren't going to keep paying for those cars to be wrecked week after week after week um, if, if they're, if they're going to race that way. So at some point, uh, they've got to, to kind of tone themselves down, and I think we've seen Noah Gregson have to go through a learning curve of that nature. We saw Kurt, Kyle Busch have to go through a learning curve of that nature. And as a team owner, he certainly has a different perspective than he did as a driver. So I, I think that uh, I think that these young drivers uh, will learn eventually uh, that that's not really the way to race. Uh, but I think, and I know that they've been talking a lot about the, the code ethic uh, or the code of driving um, there's been a lot of discussion about that. And I think that the number one code from a lot of drivers is I'm going to race you the way you race me. If you're going to wreck me, then, I'm, you know, you've got to expect me to wreck you back. Uh, but I'm not in favor of that either. I think that somewhere along the line that has to end too because we shouldn't be taking each other out on the track. I don't think it reflects um, well. Uh, on their skills, but again, I do think it does create the buzz uh, that NASCAR is looking for to promote the sport. Unfortunately, I'm not a fan of it. Jay? Well, and, and the ironic thing that we're talking about it is because, like I said, it was kind of in the, in the defense of Martin Truex in the situation that happened there as an example and that really wasn't the case there. Suarez held his line, like you mentioned. He didn't just yep. pull over and give him the spot. Uh, you know, it is questionable, and it's tough to really say on that one. You know, even like you said, Martin Truex said, oh, let me see the video. Yeah, maybe I did come down a little bit. The air shifted us. There was definitely contact. But it was not an aggressive move by Daniel Suarez. Uh, again, being a championship contender, could he maybe have given up the spot? But he's racing for his team, not you know, somebody else's. So I think that's one thing you have to factor in. And we've seen this in the past that you mentioned it, uh, specifically pulling Winchester as an example for the Arkham Menard series, though. That's a short track that's bound to happen more so. Again, we're coming up to Martinsville. You're going to see bumping and banging and nudging a little bit on a short track. Now, some of these drivers that want to do it a little bit more aggressively or at all tracks, they're going to learn. And I think of just Chase Elliott. You know, uh, I think it was Canadian mm-hmm. Tire Motorsports Park, you know, and he admits that. He said, I, I don't do that anymore. Now it's a matter of I did it because of how you drove me, as happened with him at Bristol and Kevin Harvick. Um, Kyle Larson, uh, take for example, is one too of not even necessarily against other drivers, but even with his own car. Uh, Kyle Larson and Tyler Reddick are two that come to mind of okay, if the car isn't good enough to get to eighth, but eighth place, except eighth place, don't try and overdrive it. And I know Mike was big on this. 
of don't cost yourself then a 38th place finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had two more thoughts in my head. Oh, going back to you talk about team owners not accepting it. Ricky Stenhouse in the Xfinity Series driving for Jack Roush. That was the specific reason they said they put uh, somebody else in the seat for several weeks was you are just absolutely wrecking too many cars, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and they made that quite clear as to that was the reason. Uh, the other the other thing that is just a, a thought in my head, I know I have my opinion on it, but some of the drivers possibly doing the sim racing, the iRacing, uh, I think that mm. is one where, okay, you wreck somebody on there, what do you do? You hit the reset button, no big deal, uh, versus the on-track. And, and I can't specifically say anyone of, like Daniel Suarez is an iRacer or William Byron or anything, but that generation coming from that, that mentality is going to be a little different because you can be more aggressive. We've seen a couple times on the racetrack where they've said that's a video game move right there, you know, and how does that work out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, Jay. Okay, Tommy, you get to bring up the next top topic. All right, let's go with... um. Go with uh, Brandon Jones returning in the Xfinity Series to Joe Gibbs. Okay. Jay, your thoughts about Brandon Jones? Well, again, if I'm going to represent Mike here, he said apparently the check cleared. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I know that uh, Menards has been behind Brandon Jones. It's not direct family sponsorship, but – uh, we've seen this in the past, uh, Eric Almarola and Smithfield, that for whatever reason that, that a sponsor ties with a particular driver, I, I think that's a good thing versus the, you know, uh, bail on him after a year. I like that. Uh, I don't mind seeing Brandon Jones. I think he's a great driver, and and we've seen he's competing in the top or in the final eight right now for the Xfinity Series Championship, so... I don't see it as much. I don't consider him a uh, driver that's only there because of the sponsorship. I do believe he obviously has the talent, so I got no issue there. The thing I find odd about it is we haven't heard all the official of what Joe Gibbs is doing. We haven't seen Ty Gibbs announced as the full-time driver that this one got deal got done first. Uh, is kind of surprising to me. Um, if you will, that we haven't heard the Ty Gibbs uh, final announcement as we all expect. But I'm I'm happy for Brandon Jones. I think it's great for the Xfinity Series. I don't know if he'll ever get a shot at the cup level, especially within the JG organiz- JGR organization. He might be the next one we see in the years to come of uh, moving organizations to try and get further up into the cup level. Okay. Yeah. I followed uh, Brandon Jones since his uh, Canon Pro Series days and uh, ARCA Racing days, and I'm happy for him uh, to be in uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Xfinity Series again for the 2022 season. Um, he has won some races. I don't think he's been a breakout driver in the Xfinity Series. I'd like to see him... Uh, I'd just be a little bit stronger contender. 
I guess, in the Xfinity Series before I see him move on to the Cup Series. Uh, maybe the Xfinity Series is going to be his home. Uh, some some drivers are more suited to the Xfinity Series than they are for the, the Cup Series. Um, but uh, he's he's a really nice guy, uh, and I really wish him the best, uh, Brandon Jones. And uh, I hope he has a good year next year. I, I I would like to see him up there contending for the championship, and I hope he can do it in JGR equipment next season. If not, you're right, Jay. Maybe we'll see him uh, getting into another car to see if he can be more competitive. Tommy? Well, the only thing I have to say is, is uh, I was – I'm like, y'all, I'm kind of surprised that Ty Gibbs wasn't announced first in most likely what we think probably the 18 car. And then we were all also thinking that John Hunter Nemechek would most likely be in the 20 car. And then the 54 <laughs> car would be the all-star car. That's what everybody was most likely thinking. I even think, or have a tweet maybe favorited that Bob said that, I feel like, maybe. so. But anyway... I mean, good for Brandon Jones. I feel like he won a couple races last year. I don't think he's done anything this year. At least I don't remember him winning one this year. In years past, I do have to say, I remember him in the truck series and in the Xfinity series being kind of um, in wrecks a lot of the time. But I do remember those wins last year. So, But I'm thinking on the same page as you. I think he might be like Michael Annette, just in the Xfinity series. But if, because I know that Menard, uh, Menards has sponsored him for a while, which is interesting to me because that car, that sponsor is usually tied to the 21 car and the 12 car uh, in the Cup Series and not Joe Gibbs. I'm not saying that he would ever go there, but that is where that sponsorship has been in the years past. So um, that's just interesting, but... Good for him, and um, it'll, I guess it'll be him and Ty Gibbs next year in TBD on what else they're going to be doing. Okay. Uh, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, he's kind of past that window of the young hot shoe. Uh, you know, you call it a breakout year. We've kind of seen that last year and into this year, maybe not with the wins so much, but at least the consistency. And I think that is one that maturity as a driver, um, being in the, he's still got a little bit of that wrong place, wrong time, possibly the overdriving the car uh, from where, where the car is capable or going to finish. But I think we've seen that change. So I think he still has the capability of say moving up to the cup series but it is going to take being a much more consistent winning driver at the Xfinity level. And like I said, I think it is going to be at an organization outside of Joe Gibbs Racing just based on what they already have in the pipeline and moving up. Um, He does have a little bit tougher road. Like I said, it's not the the newest young hot shoe. Uh, He's kind of past that. So I think it would have to be then of just an absolute dominating season versus a win or two and contending for the championship in order for him to get a solid look at the cup level. But then again, with new teams coming in, uh, as we've been hearing the talk about, that may change at the cup level too. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot to add uh, based on what you guys have said and what I said earlier. So, Tommy, I'll let you have the last word on this. Well, I was just thinking Harrison Burton's going to the 21 car next year, so I'm sure he's going to bring Dex imaging. And then, of course, I'm sure they'll keep maybe um, Motorcraft or that sponsor that they've always had forever. And then maybe Menards, but I'm sure Brian Blaney would get most of those. So Brandon Jones might have Menards full sponsorship and Maybe y'all, uh, you guys are right. If he does go up to the cup level, it'll be a new team, and he'll take that sponsor with him since he's had them for a while. Um, but, yeah, good for him, and I'm just interested to see when they announce Ty Gibbs and what else they're going to be doing. Okay. Uh, Jay, you've got the next one. All right, and just uh, just so you're aware, I know we're still a little early. We've got a five or six minutes here, but we are coming up to the oh, 9.30 mark. Oh, maybe I mark. should make the announcement. Yeah, I can go okay. ahead. Okay, if you want to do it this early, the, okay. Go ahead and uh, tell us what the topic is, and then I'll go ahead and make the announcement. All right. Uh, I got this from Bob Pockers' uh, Twitter that the – and now I'd have to pull it directly up. Uh, Track Enterprises, which is Bob Sargent and Spire, are approved uh, as a contract today to continue to promote races at the Nashville Fairgrounds for 2022. Uh, Deal is the same as 2021. And then it says Speedway Motorsports remains in talk with the city over its proposal for upgrades and future operations, possibly the cup date. Okay. Uh, is that on our list here? Yeah, yeah, I put it up, uh, I think, sometime during the show we were doing earlier, the uh, preview portion. Oh, okay. I'll lo- I'll continue to look for it, but uh, Tommy, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I'm glad to see that they're still fighting, which I think we knew that they were going to do. Um, nothing against Nashville Super Speedway. I did watch some of that race, but I would prefer them to be at another short track, just like I um, want them to bring back North Wilkesboro, Rockingham, South Boston, Hickory. I mean, all of them. I mean, I don't want NASCAR necessarily going to all of those, but maybe the Xfinity and the truck level or the new SRX series or something. But uh, I know they're not going to go down easy, and I'm sure eventually in the years to come they're going to have a race at um, the National Fairgrounds at the cup level again. Uh, the SRX has already been there. It was great. Chase and Bill Elliott were out there, and, um, I mean, you know, Bobby Labonte and Haley Deegan and all of them. So I, I just wanted to work out them get it. Nothing against Nashville Super Speedway. I just like short tracks over the, uh, is it Nashville super speedway considered, but people would call it cookie cutter also nothing against those types of races or anything. It's just, in my opinion, or what I like, I like super speedways and short tracks. Yeah. I, I think their, uh, drive to get into Nashville has a lot more to do with the market there. Um, Nashville is kind of, uh, 
the really hot area right now. Uh, there's a lot of things for people to do when they go to Nashville. Uh, so from a tourism perspective, uh, you'll not only be able to go and see a NASCAR race there, but while you're there, you can also do all of the other things that NASCAR ha- or that Nashville has to offer. So I, I, um, I, th- I think it has more to do with the market that they're trying to tap into in Nashville and kind of the buzz uh, that there is around Nashville right now, uh, more so than anything else. Um, so I, I hear your points, uh, Tommy, and I think they're certainly valid uh, points. Uh, but I, I do think NASCAR's kind of got their minds set on getting into that market. So uh, I'm glad to see that they're still working on it. We'll have to see how it ends up when it's all said and done. Jay, your, your thoughts on this subject? All right. Uh, yeah, I, I like the fact, that, like Tommy said, most fans seem to want to go to the fairgrounds versus the, the super speedway, as well mm-hmm. as drivers. We've heard several drivers, and I think NASCAR could do a lot with it with the history of the track. When you talk about Waltrip, uh, Marlin, both uh, Sterling as well as Cuckoo, uh, you know, the history of the track itself, I think, could bring so much attention and we saw the fan response when it came to the SRX. So uh, I do think that that is the next logical move. Uh, and I understand we've talked about it multiple times, the situation of, of the housing around it. But I think something does need to be worked out for the benefit of the city. And, and that what NASCAR coming in there and bringing an event like that in does bring um, that people need I am to, gonna uh, have to interrupt put a little bit of... Yep. Okay. Go ahead. Thirty yep. seconds. Okay. Um, we make an announcement at this time of the night because we're going to be going off the air at ten thirty p.m. Eastern time, uh, but we will continue our conversation beyond that point and record that conversation as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. For so, for any new listeners that are tuning in. Uh, just know that I will go out on Twitter to let you know this podcast is available. So all you have to do is go to the podcast player at fanforacing.com or Blog Talk Radio and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. And I think I got that in just under the wire. So, Jay, go ahead and finish your thought there. And I apologize. I went right into it and forgot to do the message. No, that's all right. Um yeah, like I said, I think that I do think they eventually do need to slide over to the fairgrounds. Uh, we'll have to see. I know that there's a lot of politics involved with it. We'll have to see how that plays out. But I do like the fact that SMI isn't giving up and they're still working it uh, in talks. I mean, that's always the the good thing is that the door door is still open. Talks are still happening. You know, how long it takes, we'll have to wait and see. But rather than it being a closed door and done deal uh, discussion. Okay, Tommy, your follow up. Well, I just know that SMI is the same people that did Bristol Dirt. So I'm sure they're going to, and then Junior's also involved in this as well. And I also saw Daryl Walter uh, being involved too. So I, I'm, I think we could. 
probably say we're pretty confident that we'll eventually see a race there. I mean, there's, you, you know, it might not happen, but never say never. But um, they're going to fight hard, and they'll probably get it done to where we see a race in Nashville at the fairgrounds versus Super Speed, the Nashville Super Speedway. Um, that is also Nashville, uh, the current race that they're doing, not the fairgrounds, is actually in the suburb of Nashville. It's not even in Nashville. And they've been doing the downtown uh, after the championship is done. That's where they've been doing the celebrations and so going to Vegas. Mm-hmm. So I think you guys are right about them wanting to be in the downtown Nashville area. The only problem there was was what I remember from a few months ago when we did this, or maybe it was longer now, was how the people were reacting to having the track. And, the, of course, everybody remembers the lady saying there was all those F1 tracks around, even though there's not any F1 tracks around Nashville. And they even had to create the street course to do the race there. But <laughs> it's just funny. Um uh, hopefully they get past that because, I mean, SML, so I'm not building the sound barrier and doing all that stuff. I mean, it, it's all doable. Um, I hope that they are able to work that out so that way NASCAR can return there because they used to be there. There's history there, and they just need to be – there just needs to be another short track. Uh, add Nashville Fairgrounds back, add North Wilkesboro back. Uh, bring Rockingham and Hickory and all those tracks back to the Xfinity and the Truck Series, and I think we'll be in great shape. Yeah, I guess the only thing that kind of concerns me uh, with this whole thing is that Speedway Motorsports is still in talks with the city over the proposed upgrades and for the future operations. So, you know, those things cost money. Hopefully they'll get the support in order to uh, spend the money that's needed for those upgrades in order for, uh, you know, the 2022 uh, races at Nashville Fairgrounds. I I agree with you guys that that would be the preferred track over uh, Nashville Super Speedway uh, or Speedway, whatever it's called, Um, because it is a short track and we need more short tracks on the schedule. So uh, let's hope that those uh, upgrades uh, take place and uh, that this doesn't get nixed uh, down the line for next season because I'd love to see them uh, at that track next year. Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, like I said, there's twofold. You mentioned it is is about the money as far as the upgrades and where that comes in. Um, SMI has shown they're willing to spend the money then it becomes the political of the resistance from the community in that area. Um, but I think that, that a compromise can be made, uh, whether it be, you know, I've been to tracks that have the curfew. You set the time and, uh, timing or whatever so that you don't go past the curfew. Uh, I, I really believe a compromise can be made for the benefit of, of all. And so that's why I said uh, with, uh, and we know SMI is great at negotiations and promotions. Hopefully they can work that out. I don't think you could have anybody better than Marcus Smith and his team in there being the ones to find a way to make everybody happy. Exactly right. Okay, Tommy, do you have another hot topic for us to cover here tonight? Uh, Let's go with um, uh, where being arrested. 
uh, for what was it, domestic violence, I believe, if we're allowed to talk mm-hmm. about that on this show. Well, it's just alleged right now, but yeah. Um, uh, Jay, did you get a chance to check that out, and what are your thoughts? I did, and I've actually been, I think this was one of the first ones that came up this morning, been putting a lot of thought into it. I am not going to address the situation at all uh, from that perspective of there was a charge brought against him, NASCAR has suspended him. Um, I dislike the fact that, to me, being that the charge was made, but he has not even uh, been to any type, through any type of trial of any sort, that NASCAR is already suspending him. Uh, I know we had this talk with the Eddie DeHaunt situation um, back when it came up. Uh, They were notified of it, so they're aware of it. Eddie DeHaunt's suspension I agreed with because he did not properly bring it forward like should have happened. I feel like this is a case of he's being convicted by NASCAR already before anything gets determined from the charges that have been brought forth. So I don't know if I fully agree with that. I understand as a business that they're setting the standard of, you know, um, we don't want to tolerate this. But if he's then found innocent down the road, how do you backtrack to that, to what he lost of race time or job pay, whatever, during that time you have him suspended because the charge was there. So I'm not 100% behind that. I do understand their position because they want to show a no tolerance and non-acceptable of any type of behavior that would get you even brought up on charges. So I have a tough time with this. I, I don't. I feel like it's kind of being put out there of you're guilty until you prove innocent, and it shouldn't be that way. Let it play out and then go from there. But I understand the reflection of then as a company you're saying, hey, you're condoning this and allowing this. Uh, so they're in a tough position, but I, I just don't like the feeling of somebody being found guilty before they've even gone to trial. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, uh, Jay. But here's the thing. We don't know. Um, it just says that they were notified of a situation. Uh, so we don't know what they were told in that notification uh, or where that notification came from. Uh, there are court records uh, that, are, that are establishing the fact that an arrest was made. Um, and I think if somebody is arrested, uh, I think probably for the benefit of all, it probably should be an indefinite suspension because you don't know how long uh, it could take for a trial to take place or whatever. Um, and it's probably best that he focus on his defense if if he's innocent um, than to bring his entire team or organization into the light while he's kind of dealing with that stuff. So I don't know if it's true or if it's false. I'm not trying to make a judgment on it at this point, but I do think that NASCAR did the right thing, and I do think that uh, Rick Rare Racing and both SS Greenlight Racing also uh, suspended them. Uh, and I think it might be more in favor of letting him deal with it versus making a judgment. Um, 
although, you know, anytime somebody's arrested, it does reflect poorly on the organization. And I remember a few situations a while back um, where somebody had a, a driver, and I'm not going to say who because it proved to be something totally innocent, uh, but the driver had uh, some drugs, I guess, in the backpack, and it turned out that it was drugs that were put there by somebody else. He had no awareness that those drugs were even in his backpack. Uh, so those facts did come to light. He was exonerated. Uh, and at what to be uh, what looked like it was going to be something big turned out to be not much. So if he's innocent, then those kind of things will come to light and he can be exonerated. Or we might find out that he is guilty and, you know, then then obviously um, his attention needs to be on that and not on the, running a race. So I feel like they did the right thing uh, to give him the chance to, to really focus on what he needs to do to exonerate himself if he is indeed innocent. Tommy, what are your thoughts? It's just like the NFL and the NBA and anybody that's really involved in a uh, situation kind of like Carson Ware's in. You just have to suspend them immediately uh, or indefinitely or whatever it's called at that moment when you find out. Because, I mean, it's it's kind of the right move. And like y'all are saying, it, you know, you've got to show that you don't tolerate this. Now, I do get um, – well, what will happen is is it just kind of reminds me of it might be like a Josh Gordon situation. Like let's say, because right now I know he's only been charged up and it's been proven, but um, Josh Gordon is an NFL football wide receiver. He's played for the Patriots, Seahawks, and Browns. And he gets suspended almost every year for um, usually substance abuse or drugs or whatever you want to call it. And as soon as he gets clean, the NFL reinstates him. So NASCAR could reinstate Carson Ware later down the road if it's proven that, you know, they that he was innocent and that they were wrong. Now, I do know that he, you know, he's going to miss his time, and that's unfortunate for him and everything. And that, that's not good, but, yeah, I mean, it's just the situation. NASCAR is kind of forced because if they don't do anything then you know people will be saying you know why why haven't y'all done anything why isn't he suspended so just not a good situation for him and um i feel like the the link did have a report and i did read it and it, it didn't it didn't really look good from what i read from what i remember anyway but that was a long time ago today and <laughs> um but, yeah, not a good situation, but it's just like the NFL and NBA and all those other sports. It's not going to be tolerated. The suspension is going to happen. Um, however, there is still hope that if this isn't uh, true, that then he can get reinstated. Okay. Uh, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, I, I, I still struggle with the, with the image, though, that it's the guilty until proven innocent versus it should be innocent until proven guilty. Uh, and, and like I said, I understand a company 
and I say a company, whether, you know, mentioned other sports, especially, you know, I came out of the military. Uh, there was certainly that aspect. My thing is, if he's innocent, needs to pay the lawyer to prove his innocence and help out. He no longer has the paycheck to do so because he's been suspended. Uh, you know, if it comes down the road of he is found uh, found innocent or there is no validation to the charges, then does he get back pay or, you know, and I know it's different because they're an independent contract as a racer, but I, that the extra struggle, if you will, whereas if they are innocent and they want to put their focus on it or whatever, they step away, that's a different story. Um, like I said, I'm not condemning NASCAR for it or any other sport or organization, company, whatever, because I understand as a company they're trying to protect their reputation as well, which I, I do believe in, but I just feel it kind of gives the, the image of you're guilty until you prove innocent, and, and I don't agree with that. Yeah. Did you get a chance to read the report, Jay? I did, um, and, I, and I, I'm really trying to avoid being, being, trying to be a judge in the case. I think back to the Eddie DeHaunt situation, though, he was exonerated in those charges. They were dismissed. Now, again, whether I agree with that or not, it did so happen. Yeah, NASCAR reinstated him. Okay, but what about the window while he was gone? If he was, the charges didn't hold up, he was found guilty for those, I think it was three weeks to a month or something. I don't remember how long before his was settled. Um, that then you I don't essentially think he was held found him guilty in, during that time. Uh, DeHaunt okay, was not. Those charges were, DeHaunt was not. That's And that's what I'm saying. NASCAR suspended him. He was found to not be guilty. They reinstated him. But to me, they basically held him as guilty during that window by not allowing him to continue to work. That's kind of how I, I feel little, about it. Yeah, and, and you're certainly entitled to that. I, I just see it a little bit. I, I don't think they're making a judgment on whether he's guilty or innocent. Uh, they're addressing the fact that he was uh, accused and that he was um, charged. Uh, with something that's not acceptable. And so they have to give him the time that he needs to focus on that versus coming in and racing and, and like, um, uh, Tommy brought up, uh, just to keep the conversation down about it, uh, while we're, everybody else is focused on their racing. He should not be focused on racing when he needs to defend himself uh, from this type of a situation. And I think the indefinite suspension is the right thing for NASCAR and these organizations to do to allow him to be able to do that. Um, now, if he's later found guilty, then, you know, that's another thing. But right now he has been charged. That's a fact. So they really don't have any choice uh, when somebody's been charged like that other than to uh, put them on indefinite suspension to allow them to address it. So, again, I don't see it as making a judgment call. I see it as giving him the time that he needs uh, to address it. So, Tommy, your follow-up? 
Yeah. Um, any sort of involvement when you see the type of situation that Carson wears in any top sport is just going to do the, the suspension yeah. automatically. It, it, at this point, it's automatic. It all started with Ray Rice back in 2013 or 2014, whenever that was, the Ravens running back. That was really what started this all because, I mean, back then or before that event, everything was kind of different. They would only get, like, you know, a six-game suspension or something. Or, like, I don't exactly remember what happened with Kurt Busch, but he was suspended, and it was only for a little while, I think, if I remember correctly. And then he was back. So, but the game has changed now, and it's not tolerated at all throughout any of the levels. I mean, which it shouldn't be. I mean, I get what you guys are saying, too, you know, guilty or innocent until proven guilty, but that's just how it's going to be. They're going to do the automatic suspension, and if it turns out that he's innocent, he'll get reinstated. But, yeah, in between those times, he's going to not be racing on Sundays, unfortunately. Okay. Okay, Jay, do you have any other hot topics you want to discuss here tonight? Uh, you know, I think we actually ran through them all. Um, let me look up the uh, look up our chart here. I think we had covered all the ones that hadn't been covered yet. So, yeah, I really don't have any other uh, additional ones tonight. Okay. Uh, what about you, Tommy? Anything else on your list? I can't really pull anything out of my head. Just ready for Kansas. Ready for Martinsville, actually. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Uh, okay, Tommy, let's go ahead and start with you then for the um, – Hot Topic uh, Roundtable. All right. Uh, at Tommy C uh, underscore 24 on Twitter. Uh, I finally did have a tweet the other day. Um, that new Ignition video game came out, and uh, people were talking about how the crashes used to be in the video game. So I, I just had to comment because, you know, sometimes it was fun. Cars would catch on fire. Parts would be flying everywhere. But um, And I need to work on that uh, Talladega article since I was there, and I will do that. I've just been super busy at work, so, but I'll get it done. No, I understand. Uh, okay, Jay, you're, you're, uh, what are you up to? Uh, six foot last time I was measured, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go okay. visit a friend, friend of ours, Sharon, the dirtiest voice in the South, Chris Crichton at... Why not Motorsports Park House of Hook as they got the 27th annual Coors Light Fall Classic this weekend, Super Late Models, Street Stocks, which you know I'm a big fan of, so I'll be down there covering the Mississippi Street Stock Series. And you can follow me. You'll see some videos. No shark dancing, hopefully. But you can follow me on Michael Hoosman on Facebook and then MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Okay. And I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including fanforracing.com. And uh, I know I was going to put an article up on Mike. We've since decided not to post that article. Uh, so that won't be coming up. And uh, we'll kind of move on from there. Uh, so um, 
we do have um, Sam's recap from the races, the cup race from last weekend. Uh, we'll have that again this coming Monday for the cup race at Kansas. And uh, I know that uh, both Tommy is working on an article, and I think you're still working on that McDowell piece, right, Jay? That is correct, yes. Okay, so maybe watch for those to be coming out uh, sometime here, and uh, we'll try to uh, get those up as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, So a big shout-out to our listeners. We really appreciate each of you for tuning in. Uh, whether it's the podcast or the live broadcast, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and then also to our fan racing crew here tonight, Tommy, uh, thank you for for standing in the last couple of weeks here for uh, Mike. I know you said he wasn't going to be available, so we'll find out what's going to happen next week. But uh, we hope it's not a long time between now and the next time that you're on. And uh, Jay, for... Uh, co-hosting earlier tonight as well as uh, being here for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, we really appreciate you for all that you do. And for our Fan for Racing Fantasy Group, uh, I know you gave an update on uh, on uh, Monday, but do you want to do a quick recap now? All right. Let me pull those up real quick. Uh, I know we got some tight battles coming, uh, coming down the wire. Uh, only a couple of eliminations so far. On the truck series, uh, there we go. Uh, truck series, Mike leads at 101 points. Andy and I are tied at 99. Sharon at 98. Sam at 92. Those are the primary ones in contention there. Uh, Cups or Xfinity series, sorry, that one's still wide open. I'm at 150 points. Andy at 138. Sam 137. Mike 127. Tommy 111. Sharon 107, Owen 101, and I think James has been all but eliminated there at 93 points. On the cup side, Sharon and Owen are now tied at 177. I'm third, actually, at 173. Sam 170. Mike right there at 168. James 159. Tommy at 141. And again, I think Andy, the only one actually eliminated at 90. And then I lost my overall. There we go. Uh, total is 422 for me. Sam at 399. Mike 396. Sharon 382. Owen at 353. Andy 327. Tommy 322. And James 318. And that one is uh, this weekend. We'll determine some eliminations. It's uh, you still got that long mathematical possibility, but uh, it's getting down to it. <laughs> Yes, indeed. So, and we really appreciate you taking the time to keep track of all of that for us. So, uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a night, guys. All right. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. We'll see you on the other side. We'll be back on Monday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time for the review.
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 